let's get into the Word this morning. Grab your Bibles. We're in James. James 4. Now, last week, we covered the Ten Commands that James gives for maintaining a Christian walk in life. And oftentimes, our issues arise when we're not walking with the Lord, when we've walked away from the Lord. And we're kind of out there wandering around in our life and, and uh, not paying attention to the signs of God. And, and then we bring those worldly things, our sin, right into the church. We as Christians sometimes, I don't know if we forget that we have sin. I don't think we forget that we have sin. I think what we do is we forget to ask for forgiveness of that sin. We get so used to church. We get so used to the, 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 the routines and the things and, and so forth that we actually forget that God has forgiveness for us and we don't walk towards the Lord. And yet sometimes, some people even show up Sunday after Sunday and it has a ripple effect. When we bring sin into our lives and bring sin into the church, it has a ripple effect of murmuring and complaining, of bringing discord into the body and chasing unity out. From unity and love, we bring all sorts of other things into the church. Oftentimes, this, this centers around politics, it divides. We were talking this morning about masks and, and how um, some, some Christian uh, churches have allowed that to divide the church when it shouldn't. COVID shot, other things. These things are worldly things that should not divide the church. Politics is one of those things. That's why on Wednesday nights we don't talk politics anymore because I found that it was just something that divided us. So we don't do that anymore. It's a, it's a subject that we don't even touch for the most part. Because we should be about unity and love. Starting in verse 11 today. He said, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, in verses 7 through 10 last week, James talked about how believers should be getting right with God. And here James takes it another step, saying get right with God, and getting right with God will cause us to get right with others. How does this cause it? By us showing love to each other. It's like a meter. It's like a meter love. It's like a thermometer. It shows where you're at. The more we are critical of others... The more we gossip, the more we slander, the more we put down somebody, the more we murmur, the more we complain, the more we show that we're not getting close to God. The closer we get to our Lord and Savior, what replaces those things? Well, the fruit of the Spirit, and we've talked about that in Galatians 5.22. The quality and the character of Christ start shaping our lives. And James is saying, look, strife, that comes from the heart. And you need to get right with God. And it starts to change your perspective. John said it like this in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. 
Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Our goal in life as Christians is to become more like God. And if that's our goal, then loving each other is one of the ways we accomplish that. The love that we have for each other is paramount. And the only way to get there is to know God better. Because He is love. God's love is already in us, and we have to be able to just tap into it. Once we're saved, His Holy Spirit is within us, and we have to tap into those things if we're going to be the light to this world. And a lot of times it's a matter of just deciding, am I going to allow God's love to come out of me or not? Am I going to act like Jesus would act here or not? Because loving people is hard, isn't it? It is messy sometimes. It is downright irritating other times. But if we're going to be closer to God, we need to love each other. And oftentimes, loving people is how we talk about them. It starts with that. Or as James says, how not to talk about it. Do not slander one another, he says. Well, let's translate that for us today. Stop talking bad about each other. Stop complaining about each other. Stop gossiping about each other. When you gossip, you're taking down that person a notch. Without them, they're there to say, well, wait a second. Let me explain what my mind was thinking when this happened. You're trying to put them down. And it's devastating to your relationship with them and the relationship with the person you're telling and that other person because they're not there to defend themselves. When they're not there, you can malign, you can shape, you can mold, you can shame, you can create an image of that person to somebody else that may be completely wrong. And they're not there to say, wait a second. This is why James earlier, as we talked about, called the tongue a poisonous thing. The word devil comes from the Greek diabolos, which translates to slanderer. So when you talk about someone else, guess whose work you're doing? You're doing the devil's work for him. He doesn't need to attack you. You're out there doing it. Think about that next time you talk about someone. In fact, that's exactly what I'm going to be praying for you and for me. Okay, I can't leave myself out of this because I can be chief complainer. You know what I'm saying? That we would realize that when we talk about somebody, we're doing the devil's work. And that God's spirit within us would say, whoa, whoa, wait a second, Alan. You're acting just like the devil right now. That's my prayer in the next few weeks for me and for you. Because when we gossip about somebody, you know, if Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse person stirs up conflict, and gossip separates close friends. Satan's goal is to divide and conquer. And when we act like the devil, when we end up separating friends, we end up separating churches, and we see it all the time. So let's put our minds together. Let's put our tongues together. And let's build up, not tear down. Because we need to promote healing within the church. James says in verse 11, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister 
or judges them. Now notice how James connects slandering with judging. Why? Well, they go hand in hand. Judge here is the word krino in the Greek, and this is not a evaluation judging type of thing. This is, you know, it's, you know, the Olympics are going on right now. It's not like they're sitting around, you know, during the, um, oh, and my mind just went blank, where they run and tumble and jump and gymnastics. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's not like you're sitting there judging gymnastics going, okay, well, did they land properly? Let me evaluate that and let me judge it. No, that's not the type of judgment here. We're talking about a condemnation type of judging, saying that they are irredeemable. Now, don't show, show of hands here on this, but have you ever thought or said somebody was pretty much irredeemable? <laughs> I think more of us than not, you know what I'm saying? Which means that you're saying they're only good for hell. Ouch. I didn't mean it that way. But the problem is that's exactly what we're doing. We're not to judge people this way. And we've talked about this before where, you know, people, you know, sometimes people are like, well, well, Christians, you, sh you shouldn't judge. No, that's not, we shouldn't crino. We shouldn't judge people to hell. We shouldn't say they're irredeemable. God asks us to judge all the time. He asks us to make judgments on ourselves. And all the time it talks about us going and lovingly rebuke somebody with the goal of getting them back into the church and right with God. Okay? That's a loving judgment. That's not a judgment to hell. That's not crino. James is not talking about correcting or rebuking someone living in sin. We have a responsibility to challenge one another, to correct one another, to even rebuke one another when we don't repent. This is what 2 Timothy 2 talks about. But James here is talking about sitting in the place of God and judging someone. Christ talked about this in Matthew. He said uh, in Matthew 7, 1 and 2, and he uses the same word here for the Greek, krino. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the, uh, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I think that's pretty straightforward. So James says in verse 11, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, Speaks against the law and the judges. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Slander is an accusation. Here is what they did. Hey, Lisa, I'm sorry. The, the lights are flashing. Just turn them off for a second and then restart that program, turning back on. So lights will go off and, yeah, but it's just distracting. But slander is an accusation. Here is what they did. Judgment is a condemnation you know, of the guilt. Evidence is presented. The jury gives the verdict. The judge says, here is the punishment. When we slander, we're doing all three of these at once. When we act this way, we're not giving God's love to others. We're acting the complete opposite of God. James said earlier in James 2.8, if you love your neighbors yourself, you are doing right. This is what we call the royal law, God's ultimate law of loving your, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. The Lord gave 613 commands, or commandments, 
you know, depending on how you count, 613 to 622, you want to get down into the weeds. But 365 of those were negative, and 248 of those were positive commands. And you couldn't remember them all. I mean, you know, how many rules did your parents have? Could you figure them all out? You probably just ignored them, like I did. You know what I'm saying, you know? But, so, so you couldn't remember them all. So the, de- uh, so the rabbis, what they did is they divided them into heavy laws and light laws. The big ones, the heavy laws, you absolutely 100% had to obey. The light laws, well, if you, you know, you can't do it all, right? We'll just let those kind of slide. kind of like a mortal sin versus everyday sin guess what folks it's not in the bible it's not in the bible that way a sin is a sin now sin has different consequences but a sin is a sin so they came to jesus and they asked him what is the greatest law you know they've been trying to trick him up and all that and in mark 12 jesus responds and he says, uh, Mark 12, 30, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So Jesus took the 613 laws and broke them down into two laws. One vertical, one to do with God, you and God. And the other horizontal, you and everybody else. The royal law commands us not to treat somebody bad. Not to take advantage of them or talk about them. Why? Because I'm to treat them with love. As I would treat myself. Now, do you treat yourself bad? Hopefully not. Hopefully you treat yourself well, right? That's how we're supposed to treat everybody else. This seems like common sense, but people don't follow it. I dare say many Christians don't follow it. And we need to start. If Christians would start following this rule with each other to begin with, and then outside the church, how many problems would disappear within the church? How many people would end up coming to church because of the way we treated them? Recently, I texted another pastor about something, and he didn't get back to me um, in a timely manner. But I realized he was on vacation. It was no big deal. So after he got back, I gave him a few days to get back into things, and I texted him again, you know. No big deal. I, you know, finally, he got back to me, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry, blah, 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 blah. And, and I, I texted back. I said, it's really no big deal. You were on vacation. I understand that. If we can't give grace to each other, then who can we give grace to? And he's like, after the week I had, you can't believe what that text meant to me. Because people in the church were not giving grace to even him. How sad is that? The first thing that we should give to each other is grace, even when it hurts. Even when we want to be upset, even when we want to be mad, even when we want to be mean, God says you need to give grace. James 
is saying some things that seem hard. He is saying that when we condemn others, we take the place of God. If the Lord commands us to do something, we should do it. And loving each other, not slandering each other, is a command. In verse 12, he says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You don't get to make the rules. My children in my house don't make the rules. If children in a house make the rules, I can tell you the house is a mess. Right? I tell you, the church a lot of times is a mess because we are trying to make the rules. We should be living by God's morals, not our own. And that is the problem. Right now, we have a morality problem. And I'm, just not, I'm not talking about major sin. I'm talking about the idea that we make our own morals. Uh, you know, uh, what is right is right for me and what is right is right for you. I'm like, no. Let's, let's go all the way out with that. Well, I feel like it's my right. I feel like it's okay. If I kill our visitor, Mike, here today, is everybody okay with that? Mike's not okay with that, but everybody, you know, but, but I feel in my morality that's okay. It's not okay. We don't make the rules. We don't make the morals up. We go by different moral judgment. Now, Mike and I were talking earlier. He's from Pennsylvania, okay? Visiting. But we don't make our own rules because we put ourselves in God's place. Many people are surprised in the end. Uh, they're going to be surprised in the end when God doesn't agree with their life. Verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Our job is to do just this, to love. It's a hard job. It doesn't mean we agree with their lifestyle, okay? Doesn't mean we agree with sinful things, but we are called to love them because of what Romans says, he died on the cross, therefore we owe a debt of love to others. It's a hard job. Remember Galatians 6 we are to reach down, and we are to help our brothers and sisters when they fall. We are to carry each other's burdens. We are to be there for each other and saying, well, saw that one coming a mile away, didn't you? Becoming the judge over people leads to this independent attitude that James addresses starting in verse 13. It's an idea that we control our lives. In verse 13 he says, now listen you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are in the midst, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say if the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. Now, does this mean we're not supposed to ever plan anything? No, doesn't mean that at all. He is talking mostly to Jews, but I think it also applies to us. The Jews looked at wealth, as many unfortunate churches, prosperity, gospel ideas has kind of gone into the churches. 
The Jews looked at wealth as a blessing from, from God. Now, don't get me wrong. It is a blessing from God. But it's not the only blessing that God ever gives. Okay? And just because you don't have money, it doesn't mean that God has not blessed you. It means you're on a different route. But they go further and say it shows your actions are blessed by God. So if you make money, your actions are blessed by God. Now let's take that out to the nth degree. Bezos, Amazon, Microsoft guy, are they being blessed by God? I don't know. Try not to judge them, <laughs> but I can tell you some of their actions go against what we believe as Christians, right? I'm not judging them the hell. I'm just saying their actions don't agree with the Christian church. But the Christian church, some people in the church, and a lot of Jews would do this at the time, would say, well, if you have money, you must be doing something right with God because he's blessing you with that money. One does not always correlate with the other. And if you're not wealthy, they would say, well, you're certainly, you must have sin in your life because you certainly aren't being blessed by God. They would look at it as poverty as a judgment of God on your life. And this led them to looking down upon other people who were not like them. They're thinking God only blesses with money. You know, my old youth pastors last week, I keep up with him, and he lives in Texas, and we had a lot, of, a lot of fun growing up, a lot of shenanigans and all that kind of stuff. But he wrote on my Facebook page, I, I put up on my Facebook page, uh, the only thing you'll ever find there is stuff about my kids, pretty much. Um, I don't get into politics or anything else. I'm like, why, why fight by typing? I don't, I don't get that, okay? Um, but uh, I put up a picture of my kids first day of school. You know, they just went in this last week. Sunday will start a week early. And, and he put down, you are a blessed man. And that is so very true. God has blessed me with two great young ones that I'm trying not to screw up as they get older. You know what I'm saying? The truth is, I am blessed by the Lord. There are tangible blessings, earthly blessings, and then there are spiritual blessings. And when we are in judgment over people, we take the judgment all the way to the point where we think that God only blesses outwardly, as in material things. In what ways are you blessed right now? He's still breathing, that's right. Well, tangible things. Do you live in the United States? <laughs> You're blessed. Believe me. You have a roof over your head? You have a car to drive? Are you able to feed yourself and your family? Do you have a church body you can be around? Because right now they're killing churches, I mean killing Christians and burning churches in Nigeria this past week. I mean, we could go on and on and on about, uh, about tangible blessings that we have. But what about the spiritual blessings that you have? The grace of God, the forgiveness that comes into your life. The Lord provides in so many ways, and it's just not large sums of money. And James really lays into it right here, and he'll actually continue this into chapter 5. He labels them as proud, arrogant people. That pride brings this independent attitude into us where we start to leave God behind, where we don't ask God, should I do this or should I not do this? Do you ever stop and think, God, am I supposed to do this or not? 
If the answer is yes, then do it with confidence. If the answer is no, then don't do it. Why? Because it'll be a struggle. Have you ever gone against something that, that goes against the Lord? And like, you're just trudging, you're just going through it. And you're just like, why am I fighting so much? Why, this is so hard. And I'm not saying that if you're doing something for God, it's not gonna be difficult. But I'm talking about times when you know you've gone against God and it's like everything's a struggle because God is trying to say, look, go back the other way. You may even be successful in it financially and materially, but spiritually. We need to start seeking God for the path that we're on, even if it takes us down a path that's illogical, because he knows what he's doing. He knows. And we should ask him, should I do this or not? James is calling out the folks who plan for everything. I'm a planner. I'm a list maker, okay? You ought to see I'm uh, coming up to my, uh, you know, trip to Canada, a fishing trip that my family's been going on since 81, and and you ought to see the list that I have for everything, you know? I I got this list. I got that list. I got a list for my brother because he doesn't make a list, and I got to tell him what to bring because he forgets it all, okay? I mean, I, I got lists for everything. But at the same time, we have to ask God's guidance on things. We have to seek his will for our lives. Lord, should I do this? Should I not do this? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. There's a right path, and there's a wrong path. How many people want to be on the right path? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, there are Psalms, there's Jeremiah, there's Ephesians, there's all sorts of of scriptures and stories and history in the Bible that says God prepares the steps of our life, the path that we should take, the work that we should be doing. So we should seek him and ask him, and the work that I'm doing, is it of you? So let's not plan and scheme. Let's not make decisions without seeking God. It may be a great decision. I'm just saying go to God and ask him. Because in the end, guess what we take to to heaven? Nothing. Nothing. It's nice to plan. But remember, the Lord knows our days. My father had many plans for when he retired. He died two months before retirement. When I reach 65, I'm going to do this. When I get to 65, I'm going to do that. When I, when I, when I, when I. It's good to plan, but we need to go if the Lord wills it. If this, is this your, my, I mean, is this your plan for my life, Lord? Because in the end, we take nothing. He knows our path. Let's not leave him out of our planning. Our richness is in God. Jesus talks in Luke, Luke 16. He told his disciples, there's a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and called him in and asked him, what is it I, this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. You've screwed this up and you're fired, basically. 
So bring your books in. I want to see them. The manager said to himself, what should I do now? My master's taking away my job. Uh, I'm, I'm not strong enough to, to dig. I'm, I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll, uh, what I'll do so, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each of his matter, uh, master's debtors, and he, uh, he asked them first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, they replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. And then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager. This sounds really weird. Because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. In other words, God's people. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcome into eternal dwellings. Now, when you first read this, you kind of shake your head, don't you? Like, what? Let me read that again. At the end of the second time, you go, what? It's just confusing. The manager was smart enough to set himself up for the future. His job was coming to an end, and, and he was pretty sharp in the way he ended it. Jesus says the sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of light. Why? Because at least they're thinking about how things are going to end up. The people of God, are we using our time here on earth to build the kingdom of God? Because we cannot take anything with us, you know, from this world. So let's use the things of this earth to our advantage now to help the kingdom of God. This is smart. This is shrewd. He's not saying go out there and cheat somebody. He's thinking about think about the end goal is what he's saying. That's what the people of God aren't doing. When we do things for godly purposes, there will be people in heaven lined up to meet us, to thank you for providing for them when no one else would, for taking care of their needs when no one else would, to helping someone go on a mission trip that saved somebody's life. Your gift to that missionary saved my life, they will say, because we're using the things for God. We need to use our time, our effort, our energy, our money to save those here on earth. And I'm not saying, oh, there's the drop box in the back, put all your money in there. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we need to be, you know, our minds need to be uh, on the things of God, not on our own stuff. Because we need to see the gospel spread in our town. We need to see the gospel spread in our state, in our country, and countries abroad. God said to the prophet Daniel, he who wins souls is what? Wise. And will shine like the stars in the heaven forever. But none of this can be reality if we live as if we are in control. In control of our time, and our control of our energy, and our wealth, and our time here on this earth. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. God is in control whether we realize it or not. We can recognize it or not. But time is running out on every one of us, right? When you're younger, you don't think about it. 
when you hit about 50, you start thinking about it. Right? And I'll just leave it there. I won't go any further age-wise. You know, I'll just, you know. But each day we get closer to the end, and that is reality. So let's be wise with our choices. Our delusion is that there's plenty of time to get to know the Lord, so there's no hurry. That's our delusion. The Bible says it differently. Let's not put off the things that are of God. We should not harden our hearts to the things of the Lord. We should be watching for his return. We need to wake up and watch for his return. Now, when will he return? I don't know. Three days? Three months? Three years? 30 years? 300 years? I don't know. All I know is there's signs out there. And he's going to come back like a thief in the night. And I think it's fine for us to make plans for the future. As long as every day we are prepared to meet our Lord. Because any one of us could be gone today or tomorrow. Now, I hope not. But the question is, are you ready to meet your creator? So let us make our plans. You know, God is willing us to do certain things. Let's, let us make sure that we're right with each other and we're right with God. James finishes with this. If anyone then, verse 17, if anyone then knows good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. What is the will of God for your life? Well, I mean, the most basic will is to live for him. If you're a family-raising age, you raise your family for him. If you're a grandparent age, you influence the grandkids for him if you have grandkids. Live your life for God on a daily basis. Some people, he pulls out like Billy Graham. This is your, your route in life. There's other people that he, you're going to be a missionary, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. But for the most part, most of us, the Lord wants us to live his life and be a light in this world to affect others. And many times we have things backwards. A lot, oftentimes we'll say, well, I'm going to be at the church next week if, if the Lord wills. Then we say, well, hey, I'm going on vacation next month. See what I'm saying? When we should be saying, I'll be at church next week, and Lord willing, I'll be going on vacation next month. It's the mindset. It's the switching. It's the backwards. The things of God ought to be first. And everything else, it's like, well, if the Lord wills it, I should be, uh, I'll be doing that. It's the mentality of, I will be about the things of God. You know, it's, a, it's not a good day when we know how God wants us to, to act or to be and we don't do it. We ignore it. That's not a good thing. Don't ignore God. Now let me end with this scripture. What Jesus says in Luke 12, 47. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants 
will be beaten with many blows, but the one who does not know and does the things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. The Lord has given us certain things that we should be living by, certain directions that we should be going to becoming more like him, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. When somebody sloshes us when, or somebody hits us and what sloshes out is that the things of the world are the things of God. God is saying, my things need to come out of you, not the world's things, not the world's reactions, not the world's words. Unfortunately, oftentimes, we'll get a reaction that's not of God. If you are a Christian, God is saying, if you're given much, much is expected. Much will be demanded. What have you been given? Life, grace, peace, joy. All these things of God you've been given, and God demands that to come out of you and bring others into that same understanding, that same grace, that same peace, the same joy that God can bring to our lives. Because things can be really bad. We can go through terrible situations and still have a joy knowing that God is in charge. You can be angry and know that God still is gonna be in charge. Now, if you act upon that anger, anger that's when it becomes sin. Okay, anger's not sin. It's the action of the anger that, that produces the sin. We can go through horrible times, yet know that God is our light. He is our defender, as they sang earlier today. Amen? Well, why don't we stand and pray as the worship team comes and dismisses us with one last song. Let's pray. Lord, you, you're an amazing God that gives us so much grace and peace in our life. I pray that we start being of, of your things in this life. We start understanding your idea of how we should live. That when we tap into, into that peace, that we can bring peace into other people's life. We tap into your joy. We can bring joy and laughter in times of need. When we tap into your richness, we can bless other people because you have blessed us. Lord, I pray for each one of us that if we gossip, if we slander, that your Holy Spirit would stop us dead in our tracks. That that guilt would come, but that guilt would come with the idea of, of getting straight with you and asking forgiveness. I pray for peace amongst our members of our church, the churches in Tulare and the churches across this nation, that we have more in common than we have differences, that if you are our foundation, Lord, if we worship you, Jesus, that we not slander one another's churches, church bodies, that we give grace to each other, because we want that grace too, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you.
the Lord's face shine down upon you. May his grace be upon you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.